Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Mr. Brill. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm recording now. We take every precaution we can to protect uh, our employees when they're at work. Truthfully, Alex, it's a pretty simple story. But nothing is ever just a simple story. I'm Alex Hall, in for Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. I cover the Central Valley for KQED and the California Report, and I spent about a year and a half looking into foster farms. We're here! Two fresh foster farms chickens! (laughs) It's a major poultry processor in the U.S. Foster farms, fresh chicken. Always natural, always fresh, always California grown. Today, we're bringing you a documentary we first aired last fall about an investigation I did into the company. At the end of the episode, we'll share some updates on what's happened since we first aired this story. In 2020, Foster Farms became the site of one of the nation's deadliest COVID-19 outbreaks at a meat or poultry plant. During the pandemic, as plants stayed open to maintain the food supply, workers got sick from COVID-19. Some even died. I talked to people whose spouses and family members spent decades packaging chicken or fixing machines inside foster farms. And I poured over thousands of pages of emails and safety investigation records. I found foster farms didn't always give a complete picture of the problem to health officials, state regulators, and their own employees. We've gotten a number of complaints of people that work there. Everyone's scared because there's so many people and like there's no way we can social distance. The story's airing tomorrow morning. Are, are you defying the county health order? Looking back at the past year and a half, there was a cost to keeping those plants open. Hundreds of people tested positive for the virus, at least 20 were hospitalized, and 16 people died. Good afternoon, this is with Cal OSHA. It's customary for us to call and, you know, interview the next of kin when there's a fatality that's related possibly to work. On today's show, we're going to meet two families who lost loved ones who worked at Foster Farms. Families who are still grieving struggling financially, trying to make sense of what happened. He said, coming to work, coming to work, coming to work. I said, I don't want to lose my dad. I lose my uncle, you know, I don't want to lose my dad. And there is anger, you know, because he should be alive. 
Foster Farms has multiple poultry processing plants throughout the country. And in California, they're clustered in the Central Valley. One of those plants is in South Fresno. It's called the Cherry Plant because it's on South Cherry Avenue in an industrial part of the city. The chicken processing itself happens in a gray building with a gated parking lot. Semi-trucks with Foster Farms' rooster logo on the side roll out full of packaged meat past a guard and a manicured lawn. In December 2020, there was a major COVID-19 outbreak here. In documents from the state's investigation, there are dated entries for each time a person got sick. Employee number one became ill on August 21st, tested positive on August 24th, and was hospitalized on September 3rd at 8 p.m. Employee number two became ill at work and told her supervisor she wasn't feeling well. He asked her to stay for the rest of the shift. The employee passed out at home the morning of November 25th and was pronounced dead at Clovis Employee number three, hospitalized December 8th and tested positive for COVID-19 December 5th. Employee number 12, hospitalized December 20th, tested December 4th, positive for COVID-19 December 5th. When you read this over and over again, it's kind of upsetting. Because these weren't just numbered employees. They were real people with names and personal stories and plans for the future. Someone's husband, someone's mom or dad or their grandparent. Many Foster Farms employees are immigrants from India, Laos, Vietnam or Mexico who came to the U.S. decades ago, got a job at the plant and never left. When the pandemic started, a lot of those people found themselves still working at foster farms, but now in their 60s or 70s and vulnerable to COVID-19. One of them was Gregorio Velasquez, a forklift driver and pallet jack operator. That's the equipment they use at places like Home Depot to move stacks of boxes and big, heavy appliances. Gregorio's wife, Rosa Velasquez, lights a red votive candle on an altar in the corner of their dimly lit living room. She's kept candles burning continuously for months now, near a collage of photos of Gregorio. Some from when he was young in Mexico, and more recent ones from their life together in the Central Valley town of Sanger, near Fresno. Their son's graduation, Halloween, and birthdays. Even though Gregorio was 73 when he died from COVID, in the photos, he doesn't look a day over 40. In December of 2020, Rosa says, Gregorio had been at the cherry plant for about 20 years. No creo que les haya notificado si alguien se enfermaba. Rosa says she doesn't think the company was telling workers when other people at the plant were getting sick. She says Gregorio would tell her, you know, I haven't seen that one guy in a while. Maybe he got COVID. But he didn't seem to have official information about people getting sick. When she and Gregorio would watch the news, she says, they heard about a lot of people dying from COVID all across California. It was scary, but Gregorio had to go to work. So did his co-workers Jatinder Paul Singh and Baljinder Dillon, two cousins who were close like brothers. 
I spoke with Jatinder Paul and his wife, Joginder Kaur, in their living room in Fresno. Jatinder Paul lives with his wife, their son, daughter-in-law, and grandkids, three generations under one roof. When we spoke, he was wearing a black turban and checkered short-sleeve collared shirt. He's in his 70s, and his eyes are serious and focused when he talks. Like many Foster Farms employees, Jatinder Paul is from the Indian state of Punjab. He tells me in Punjabi that he worked at the cherry plant for 12 years. His job was to take the packaged chicken, put it in a box, and pass it down the line. One night last fall, when Jatinder Paul and his family were at home eating dinner, they say they got a phone call. His son Ravi said the call came from Foster Farms, letting them know that Jatinder Paul's most recent COVID test at work had come back positive. Everybody sit down the table and eating food, you know, and you receive a call or your dad is a positive, you know. My wife, my kids shocked too, you know. Ravi says everyone was really freaked out. Six people in their family were sitting around the dinner table. After die, what do you expect? You know, maybe six people die. They all quarantined in separate rooms, but pretty much everyone got COVID anyway. Jatinder Paul says his cousin, Baljinder Dillon, a mechanic at the same Foster Farms plant, also tested positive that week. Baljinder and Gregorio got sick around late November, early December of 2020. But there had been positive cases at Foster Farms as early as April. And that's when I first started reporting this story. After a source sent me a photo of a letter the company gave to employees notifying them a worker at the cherry plant had tested positive. Back then, it was news when one person at a workplace had COVID. So I gave the company a call. Truthfully, Alex, it's a pretty simple story. That's Ira Brill, Foster Farms Vice President of Communications. One positive does not constitute a risk. It's a positive that we hoped would not happen. As I said, we are doing everything possible and have taken many of these steps before other companies have to limit the impact on the workforce. Brill said the country was facing a protein shortage and poultry producers faced a critical task, maintain the food supply. Foster Farms, he said, was trying to meet that need without putting the community at risk. Was this worker on an assembly line or was it a different kind of Alex, I'm going to have to wrap this up. This person, I believe, worked on the processing line. It's not an assembly line. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just not familiar with the difference between those two. But I just have a couple other questions. I asked if Foster Farms would consider shutting down the processing plants. He said the company was in constant contact with officials at the local, state, and federal levels. And those officials wanted to keep the plants operating. Okay, and I think the last question that I think Does a lot of Does that answer your really, question? Not really, honestly. Does it? No. Uh, then, let me, then let me explain that further. Okay. How, what part don't you, know, don't you understand? Well, the question was, is there any scenario under which you would consider closing the plant or curtailing operations? What did I just say? I said we will continue to operate these plants and fulfill the mission that we've been asked to undertake only to the degree that we do not represent a threat to the community. So where is that threshold then? How do you determine That is the threshold that's determined by the CDC, by USDA, by local 
health officials. Brill was right. Federal officials did want meatpacking plants to stay open. A few days after this phone call in April of 2020, Foster Farms and the rest of the meat industry got a big boost from the White House. President Trump says he will invoke the Defense Production Act to order meat processing plants to stay open during the pandemic. It comes amid warnings that meat shelves and grocery stores could go empty this week. According to the union representing workers, at least 22 plants have closed. Just two months later, in June of 2020, there was an outbreak at a Foster Farms plant an hour north of Fresno in Livingston. Emails from that time show county health officials didn't trust the COVID testing data they were getting from Foster Farms. And in August, the county realized eight workers had already died from the virus. But they didn't learn about all of those deaths right away because Foster Farms didn't immediately tell them. Health officials are calling it the most severe outbreak of COVID-19 in Merced County. It's at the Foster Farms plant in Livingston. In late August 2020, the Merced County Department of Public Health, with backing from the California Department of Justice and the State Health Department, announced it was shutting down Foster Farms plant in Livingston until it was safe to reopen. But the next day, workers started getting text messages telling them to come into the plant. The text read, all active employees should report to work for their next scheduled shift. Sites are safely operating. I left Ira Brill a voicemail asking about those texts. Later that night, he called me back saying he couldn't give me a comment by my deadline, but he just wanted to let me know there are layers to every story. The story's airing tomorrow morning, so it's going to say that you declined to comment and that workers are getting text messages to come into the plant, even though there's a county health order to close the plant. Are you defying the county health order? He hung up on me. That night, the county health department announced a 48-hour stay of the order to give Foster Farms more time to prepare to shut down the plant. They just don't understand. That's Geev Kashkuli. He's the political and legislative director for the United Farm Workers, the union representing workers at the plant at the time. Why was their delay more important than making sure nobody else dies? It just, we just don't understand. Around this time, the county, Foster Farms and its lawyers, and officials from multiple state and federal agencies, even Trump's deputy secretary of the USDA, discussed the situation in a series of conference calls. And then, all of a sudden, the health department released a revised order, limiting the shutdown to just six days. Some 400 workers ended up getting infected during that outbreak. Nine people died. After the plant reopened, Foster Farms hired a physician to oversee its COVID response and promised to keep health officials in the loop about future cases. But then, three months later, around Thanksgiving 2020, COVID cases started to spike again. Rosa Velasquez says her husband, Gregorio, the forklift operator at the plant in Fresno, started feeling sick and stopped going into work. She says he was weak, and then he couldn't breathe. Rosa called the doctor, who told her to take him to the hospital immediately. They put him in a wheelchair. Rosa was worried, but she thought 
they're going to make him better. Around this time, I got a text message from the Farm Workers Union about rumors of another outbreak. I reached out to Ira Brill at Foster Farms again, several times, but he didn't respond. The state health department and Fresno County confirmed there were two new outbreaks at the company's plants. So I sent Brill another email. Almost immediately, his three-word reply showed up in my inbox, sent to me and the company's public relations firm. It said, continue to ignore. Brill had accidentally replied all to my email, revealing that he had been telling the PR firm to ignore my questions. I later got emails through a public records request showing Brill told Fresno County he would only speak with journalists that had been reasonable in their past coverage and that he does not, quote, engage with those that have a separate agenda. My read of this? Foster Farms was cherry-picking which news organizations to respond to. And in doing that, they were avoiding tough questions in an attempt to control how journalists covered the outbreak. The press release Foster Farms refused to give me said the company's most recent round of COVID testing had identified 193 positive cases at the plant in Fresno, but that none of those workers had any symptoms. But that press release didn't tell the whole story. One worker had already died at this point, and a later investigation by Cal OSHA, the state's workplace health and safety agency, found that two others, including Gregorio, were already in the hospital. Let's just step back for a second so I can give you some context of what else was going on around this time. This was December of 2020. Emails show Fresno County health officials showed up at the cherry plant to try to find out how the outbreak had started. So did Kalosha. Foster Farms knew they were coming, though, because county health officials gave them a heads up. Foster Farms later sent the county a report from a food safety consultant saying there was no evidence of significant COVID spread in the plant. That consultant, turns out he was on Foster Farms' own food safety advisory board. Back at the Singh house, the family tells me Baljinder Dillon was 65 when he died from complications of COVID-19 in late December. Jatinder Paul, his cousin, also got COVID, but recovered. He says he remembers getting calls from Foster Farms asking when he was coming back to work. Jatinder Paul's son, Ravi, also remembers this. After 13, 14 days, he said, coming to work, coming to work, coming to work. I said, I don't want to lose my dad. I lose my uncle, you know, I don't want to lose my dad. Ravi called Baljinder uncle. The two families were really close. Jatinder Paul says he used to go to Baljinder for advice. Since he died, the grief feels like an amputation, like losing an arm. Foster Farms has continuously called and asked me to come back, he says. But I told them I'm not going to work there anymore. He says he can't go back. For him, it's not worth it. If our lives, our family, aren't safe, what good is the money? 
The same week Jatinder Paul's cousin Baljinder died, the Velasquez family, Rosa and her kids, were visiting Gregorio every day in the ICU at a hospital across town. They peered at him from the other side of a glass window. He was hooked up to all kinds of tubes and machines. One day, Rosa and Gregorio's daughter, Yvonne, says the nurses told the family her father wasn't doing well. I remember my brother calling me and telling me to hurry that something was happening. Yvonne says she and her family watched from the other side of the glass as her dad, weak from COVID pneumonia, went into cardiac arrest over and over. The hospital staff would do compressions and he would stabilize, but then it would happen again. They were kind of there just watching homeless outside from a window. And then the doctor came out and he was just like, well, there's nothing else that we can do. And that was it. Yvonne says she was in shock when her father died. It felt like it was out of the blue. It felt like like it wasn't supposed to be happening. Since they came back from the hospital that day, her mom, Rosa, has kept the candles in her living room burning. There's a noticeable silence in the room that she points out wasn't here before. She says nothing is the same. He was a husband. He was a dad. Now everything feels empty. You live because you have to keep living. There's a song by the Mexican band Los Fredis from the 70s that Rosa says Gregorio loved. It's called Se Ha Quebrado. It's about being left heartbroken and alone. She doesn't listen to it anymore. It's too painful now that he's gone. But she remembers how he would start singing it out of nowhere. Rosa says Gregorio was their household's breadwinner. He paid most of the bills. After he died, she thought about going back to work packing fruit. But her kids pleaded with her not to. They were scared. Look at what happened to dad, they said. And there is anger, you know, because he he should be alive. In May of 2021, Kalosha issued multiple citations against Foster Farms. They said the company did not immediately report seven worker deaths and 10 employee hospitalizations, including Gregorio Velasquez and Baljinder Dillon. In a case file, one state investigator wrote, Foster Farms could have known and should have known of continuing COVID-19 hazards in the plant that posed a realistic possibility of causing serious illness or death. I asked Foster Farms about this and some of the other concerns of the families I talked to for this story. The company didn't respond. Foster Farms is now appealing the state's citations. It's really an injustice. That's Rosa's attorney, Ricardo Agustin Perez. He specializes in workers' compensation and is representing her and another widow of a Foster Farms employee who died from COVID. If you're not familiar with workers' comp, here's the basic idea. If you get injured or get sick at work, your employer, actually your employer's insurance, is supposed to pay. 
When the pandemic started, California passed a law so workers who got COVID during an outbreak at their workplace would have an easier time getting that money. But it's still not guaranteed. These insurance companies are just fighting tooth and nail. They want to make you prove that you that you actually contracted this virus at work. Prove something that really is is in many ways impossible to prove definitively. If an employee gets COVID at work and dies, their family members can apply for death benefits, up to $320,000, plus $10,000 for the cost of a funeral. And if you're the primary breadwinner, that puts your family in a, you know, in a, in a really difficult position. Apart from having lost you know, their family member or loved one, you know, then they have to fight with an insurance company to maybe get $300,000. We don't know how many families of foster farms workers who died from COVID have gotten death benefits. But Ricardo says a lot of workers probably don't even know they're eligible. Through the windows of an ornate white temple in West Fresno, you can see a crystal chandelier. Lined up on either side of the entrance are the shoes of families already inside for the morning prayer. Women wearing colorful salvar kameez and flowing scarves slowly trickle in. Men with turbans follow, some holding the hands of small children. We can't go around foster farms because there's no like houses or apartments around there. So hitting up the Gordavaras, we end up hitting the larger community. Navdeep Kaur is an organizer with Jakara Movement. It's a nonprofit that advocates for the Punjabi community. She's setting up a folding table next to the front doors of this gurdwara. She's got free hand sanitizer, disinfectant wipes, and disposable masks. Throughout the day, people come up to the table and ask questions. Many of the younger men say they're long-haul truck drivers. A lot of the older generation tell her they work in food processing and warehouses. Amazon, fruit packing houses, and foster farms. A man with a long white beard and purple turban walks up. Nadeep gives him a brochure about workers' rights and asks, has he gotten COVID? Does he know anyone who has died of COVID? Where does he work? When they tell me they're like Foster Farm or Amazon or like one of the big like warehouses, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, then this really applies to you, you know? So, but yeah, this is what we do. None of the workers she talks to seem to have heard of workers' comp. Navdeep says it's been that way everywhere she's gone. Flea markets, food drives, even knocking on people's doors. And that's a problem. Because you basically only have a year from the date you were injured or got sick to file a workers' comp claim, including for death benefits. After that, the statute of limitations expires. And even if you do apply on time, it can take a while for the case to be resolved and for families to actually get the benefits. Since we first aired this story in October, here are a few things that have happened. It's been almost 15 months since Rosa Velasquez's husband, Gregorio, died, and she's still waiting to hear whether she or her kids will get death benefits. Meanwhile, three of the temp agencies foster farms used to hire workers got their Cal OSHA penalties reduced after the companies appealed. Foster Farms is still appealing the state's citations against them.
I'm Alex Hall. You can find out more about my investigation into foster farms at CaliforniaReport.org. This story was edited by Sasha Koka. Alex Emsley and Dan Brecky edited our story online. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon, and our director-producer is Susie Racho. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Thanks for listening. Sasha Koka will be back next week. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randal Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.